Great. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. My name is Deepak Mativanan. Uh, I cover SmithCap Internet here at Barclays. We're super excited to have Jill Woodward, CFO of Peloton, and Peter Stabler, head of IR, joining us today. So we have about 25 minutes. I'll go through a list of questions. Jill and Peter, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Uh, we were just thinking it was very different last year, but obviously virtually good to be with everybody this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is a this is a different year uh, in, in every possible way. <laughs> yeah. All right. So great. So you know, uh, this is a question. I'll kick it off with a question which we've been asking every company, trying to make ourselves smarter and understand potentially about 2021. So I'll throw that question at you as well. Obviously, demand was really strong in 2020. You know, there's still plenty of uncertainties about 2021. But how are you thinking about, you know, some of the demand trends for 2021 as you plan your business for, you know, uh, various levels of investments and product initiatives that you uh, that you have in the pipeline for next year? So I, I know that everybody knows that COVID was obviously a nice tailwind for our business in 2020. But I think the the key to 2021 is understanding the way we view COVID's impact on our business. And that was really more of an acceleration of a trend that we believed was already going to happen, which was the transference of fitness from the gym into the home, because the home is the most convenient place to exercise. And we have developed a product that people use, which is really the key to, to fitness. And so from our standpoint, we want the pandemic to end as much as, as anyone. You know, the big challenge for us, as you know, is um, COVID created a much more unpredictable demand curve. And so I, I, I personally am very excited to get back to more predictability, right? We're scaling our supply chain but I do believe when we actually are at the controls with respect to the way we can drive um, our marketing and media spend to then drive traffic and drive demand for our products, it's going to create a much more predictable growth algorithm um, for us. Uh, and I think, you know, what I'm really excited about in 2021 is our, our lower price tread. So um, we continue to believe that we're going to see tremendous growth, um, even even beyond COVID. And I think that part, an important part of that algorithm certainly will be uh, the lower price tread again, which I think we've said a lot is, is likely to be two or three times as big as we believe the bike opportunity to be. So we're, we're excited for it all to end um, and excited to get back to marketing and building our brand and product awareness in, in the way we've done it in the past. Got it. I mean, obviously, the penetration into your SAM is still relatively low, despite all the, you know, strong demand during 2020. Maybe talk about the supply chain side of the business. Clearly, you've ramped with the new facility now. You know, is the facility fully operational? As you think about some of the supply chain constraints, should we expect it to get relaxed, you know, over the next few months and then potentially uh, into 2021? Where do we stand on that currently? So, you know, there's obviously the immediacy of getting our supply chain uh, as as ramped as, as possible. And just to give you a little bit of context on what we've already done, 
if you look back to the the uh, first quarter of 2019, we generated 112 million in revenue. Last quarter, fast forward, you know, 24 months, we posted 758 million dollars of revenue. So we've we've already scaled, you know, several fold over the last several months. So really, what we're trying to now think through is is the five-year plan, the seven-year plan, right? We know in order to have millions of subscribers, you need to sell millions of products. In order to sell millions of products, you need to be able to produce millions of products. And so, you know, we, we've had a full 360 evaluation over the last nine months um, of, of how we're going to get there, right? And I think it's it's a combination of further leverage off of our, our existing third-party manufacturers Certainly, um, our acquisition of Tonic in some ways was very fortuitous uh, 14 months ago because it allowed us to break ground on Shinji and put a lot of investment um, into building out our supply chain. Shinji is on track. Um, that is really more of a medium to long-term solution for us because it is going to take some time to ramp up the production of both bike and treads uh, at Shinji. But we are on track. We're excited. We're um, getting everything ready to start building out um, our lines of production there. So super excited there. And then, you know, we're we're also, you know, trying to figure out other long-term solutions, whether that's stateside uh, production and assembly, whether that's um, more third-party manufacturers that we need to bring to the table to really help us uh, flexibly manage that supply capacity over time. So, and even looking at another you know, factory on the Tonic campus. So we've got a lot of different balls in the air, but I think rest assured, we understand the importance to get to that millions of subscriber goal. You have to be able to make the product. And and that's really been a huge area of focus over the last nine months. Got it. Okay. I'll ask one more near near to medium term question, and then we'll talk about more interesting stuff. Um, the ocean freight delays that's been reported, and there's been some, you know, uh, chatter in the press about how there's been some customer dissatisfaction and cancellations associated with it. Uh, I mean, obviously, it seems like, uh, you know, given the scale in which you're at, those will be isolated instances. But can you talk about, you know, uh, how consumer behavior has been due to these uh, some other near-term challenges? Yeah. So, um, so I would really separate the issues that we've had over the course of the last, uh, you know, several months really into two buckets. Um, we just talked about supply chain. And of course, that's, you know, that's something that is imminently solvable, right? We, we, we believe over the next couple of quarters, we are going to um, get back to those normalized order to delivery for, for our products um, and bike plus in particular, where I think we talked about, we saw, some pretty, uh, you know, uh, exciting demand for that product. Um, there's a separate issue, which is, you know, the realities of operating in the COVID world, right? So like other e-commerce companies, um, you know, there, there's obviously been a massive acceleration in the adoption of of, of online and, and, and e-com, right? I, I think, you know, the, the last I looked, it was, it was almost like six or seven years of e-commerce growth uh, boiled into, you know, a nine-month period. And so, as you can imagine, 
that that is creating a lot of the ocean freight uh, delays, right? Uh, so so COVID has sort of has has created that. The second thing is also, and I and and again, we're doing everything we can to. Uh, you know, be as efficient as possible. I know we talked about on our last earnings call, we even airshipped some some bikes in order to bypass some of the congestion that we were seeing at the ports. But I believe that this is an issue that's going to be here for a while, um, as we've just seen this incredibly rapid ramp of the adoption of, of people moving from buying in-store to online. And I think it's just, I think it's just going to be a reality for a period of time. It's one of the reasons why, you know, in into the future, you know, doing things more stateside could make sense for us. Um, but, but the, the other issue is, you know, we, we feel like we have let some of our customers down. Um, and, 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 but the reality is it's generally been due to COVID closures of our warehouses. We've fought through nat uh, natural disasters where we've had to close certain warehouses for periods of time, especially on the West Coast, um, with, with the fire situation. And so, um, it, it has, I think the real angst has really been more around the delivery reschedules, right? It's, I think at this juncture, we've tried so hard to be transparent with, uh, with our customers with that initial delivery date, right? It's on our hurricane banner. And we've been, I think, really upfront around, around the delivery timeframes. It's really been, you know, the minority of customers who through, through a port, uh, through port congestion, through a warehouse closure, um, where we had to shift deliveries for the day. Um, you know, we're, we're just fighting through the same COVID challenges that, that everybody else is. So um, hopefully th these are things that will be mitigated over the next couple of months. But certainly this is this is very, very frustrating and painful for us to to have to um, work through and, and see some of the commentary. Yeah, no, absolutely. OK, switching gears here a little bit. You know, one of the things like uh, if you see companies like Apple have been able to do is to create an ecosystem where consumers kind of refresh their products at a more regular cadence. I mean, everybody buys new iPhone, you know, two to three years. Uh, now, I think with Bike Plus and the behavior that you've seen with the bike so far, what do you think is the opportunity for Peloton to create, you know, some sort of behavior like that? Clearly, some of your initial Bike Plus buyers where original bike owners. So do you think there's opportunity to create, you know, some sort of like a subscription-esque behavior with your hardware offerings with multiple iterations, you know, uh, uh, over time? And uh, do you think, is there is there a right way to think about the cadence there? I apologize. I did lose internet for a very brief moment. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed I was potentially frozen in time. Um, so no I did miss I can... your, maybe, maybe just do an abridged version of your yeah, question. Yeah. No, no, for it. sure. I apologize. No, no problem. I was, I was saying that, you know, there are a few companies which are trying to replicate like a subscription-esque behavior with the hardware by having parked refreshes at a steady cadence. So people upgrade their devices. You know, you've seen some of that with Bike Plus currently, some of your early buyers. So I was curious, you know, with the data points that you have, do you think that behavior is possible for Peloton, you know, in the next several years? 
Yeah, I'm, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not sure. Um, if you're, if you're thinking about like, are we trying to get into a regular hardware cadence? The answer yeah. is, is no. Um, we, I'll, I'll be, we, we really, we really build our products to last. Um, for hopefully, you know, when you think about the bike and the bike frame, um, you think about our tread, really, we really want our hardware to last seven or 10 years. Clearly touch screens, as we've seen in the technology landscape, that, that, uh, you know, has a much shorter lifespan, call it three or four years. And, and we've already, if you look at our first generation tablets, have actually already offered uh, a co- an at-cost exchange for our earliest cohorts of members. Um, but we want the bike hardware to last for years and years and years. So for us, the real value is in that subscription, right? That $39 a month. So in my view, the longer it lasts, like we're, we don't need, we don't want to rely, nor do we want to need to rely on people upgrading and replacing their products over time. Um, clearly, that doesn't mean that we're not going to innovate on our existing products, as you saw with our introduction of Bike Plus, which introduced a lot of features and functions that our members were asking for. Um, but you won't see it on a quick cadence. It will be, you know, you know, the, in, in the cadence that we've, we've already delivered on, you know, vis-a-vis the, the, the bike vertical. But that, that's really not going to be a strategy for us. So, and, and we also, want a very pruned portfolio for us it's going to be key to get economies of scale on on these products in order to um, improve the margin profile of these products over time so that we can then make them more affordable like we did the original bike to continue to grow our addressable market got it okay on the subscription side, you know, obviously you've added a ton of new content, expanded vertical. So you've also seen engagement, you know, um, go up really nicely during this period. But how are you thinking about the price elasticities there? I mean, I think, you know, clearly you don't have the need to flex the price now, but the value prop that you have increased seems like has gone, you know, uh, mostly as a kind of consumer captured by the consumers. So how should we think about, you know, potentially pulling some of those pricing levers on that side? So um, I would say that that the $39 a month is is kind of sacred to us, it, right? We we know that for a consumer subscription, um, it, it it is it is a a higher price point, right? When you compare across Netflix or Spotify or other services, so for us. Um, we, we love the $39 price point. Clearly based on the engagement levels and the value that we believe our members get from that subscription, we certainly believe we have some pricing power. But when you look at the economics, right, of, of our subscription model and you look at the gross, uh, profit margin of our subscription business and where we think that can go, we are really happy with that subscription contribution margin range of 70 plus percent, which is where we think we can get to over the next few years. So um, from my perspective, um, we would rather continue to pile more and more value and more content and more software features, right, in, in and more fitness verticals into that subscription than think about 
raising the price over time to be commensurate with the additional investments. We, we just want it to be an undeniable value for the consumer. And so really no plans at this juncture to raise the price. Got it. No, that makes sense. Okay. On the digital side, you know, the growth has been phenomenal over the past few uh, uh, past few quarters, and clearly you saw a pretty nice uptick from free-to-paid conversion and then also some stickiness around that. But from a product standpoint, you know, what do you think are some of the areas that you need to tailor it more to kind of sustain growth and make it a product which is addressable, you know, for a large a subscriber base? Clearly, if you just think about the, you know, uh, less friction in terms of subscribing to it and the value prop associated with it, you would think the addressable market for digital, you know, is a lot bigger than the core subscription business. So do you think there's product tweaks needed or maybe content merchandising inside that that should be different? What do you think that will take it to a scale bigger than the core product? So um, first of all, I would highlight that digital is a very nascent business for us, right? And um, there are very low barriers to entry for content-only fitness subscription and um, very low switching costs for the consumer. So it's a really different business model than the one that we've cultivated, right, with connected fitness where there's a buy-in, right? There's an initial investment, even though financing has helped spread that investment over a period of time. The reality is it's, it's a, there's a very different um, consumer behavior with digital. Um, and, and we are incredibly bullish on digital, but it's, it's still very early days. Um, when you look across the brand awareness of our products, right? Bike aided brand awareness is, is, is pretty high, but we've got a lot of room to grow. Tread as a category for Peloton is very low. So is digital. So we still have very low brand awareness. It's why things like the Chase Partnership have been, you know, really interesting to us to um, increase uh, the the awareness uh, of the product. We believe we have, um, you know, the best fitness app on the market. But again, with very low barriers to entry, um, higher churn relative to our connected fitness. Today, we're treating it like an incredibly powerful sales funnel for connected fitness and maybe over time um, are, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, digital can be millions and millions and millions of subscribers. But, but I, I think um, in, in my humble opinion, you know, our focus right now is taking our digital members and helping them convert into connected fitness. Um, you know, most of them, you know, tend to use, a wide variety of programming. And the good news is, is that in order to get an indoor cardio workout on a bike or tread, you need a bike or tread. And so um, our, our view right now is, is let's widen the funnel as much as possible. So let's, you know, obviously within a cost effective way, let's get as many members as possible um, in, into digital. But ultimately the point is to drive uh, value and by getting them to convert to connected uh, fitness over time. So I see it as a great sales channel um, as opposed to a, a, a great, you know, long-term business model, just given all the challenges, um, competition, um, lower margin, um, you know, higher churn. And it's to, to us, it's, it's interesting, but, 
for, for very different reasons. And thankfully we have this great high margin connected fitness uh, business uh, that, that we think is really the bread and butter of, of what we do. Got it. Okay. No, that makes sense. Can we talk about the geographic market expansion opportunity? I mean, I think with the supply chain, uh, particularly in terms of production capacity in place uh, over the next few quarters, it seems like, you know, uh, you will now have opportunity to kind of expand into a few other markets. Clearly, you know, U.S. and uh, U.K. are significant, but then there's also other markets, you know, where you feels like you can enter with very limited kind of incremental investments. How should we think about, you know, the milestones that you would like to see before you go and approach some of these international markets? Yeah, I, I mean, first off, you know, the, the global opportunity is is massive. Um, but I think at Peloton, you know, we're, we're constantly challenged by the fact that there are so many ways we can grow our business and how do we optimize and prioritize all of the various things we want to do. Um, to date, going into international markets has taken a tremendous amount of effort, right? We We are in um, you know, four of the largest fitness markets in the world today that cover half of the world's population that belong to a gym. So it was um, important for us in those markets to, to your point, to have a fully vertical stack, right? Logistics, showrooms, um, national media spend in order to really drive adoption and accelerate our growth in, in those markets well beyond what we were doing in the U.S. at the same time. After Germany, um, the, the market opportunities in some of these regions really drop off. And so what we have to do is reimagine how to deliver the Peloton experience in the best way possible without the building blocks of all the different um, uh, of, of all of the different components of our vertically integrated model that's been so successful, right? And do, do you have a direct-to-ship model, for example, versus your own logistics platform? Do you leverage third-party logistics? What do you do for servicing? So we, we are certainly um, excited about continuing to expand internationally, but but Right now, I think it's it's probably going to be a couple, you know, markets every every couple of years. It's it's not we're not going to be we're going to be very judicious as we go to make sure that the investment is right sized for the opportunity. Um, and then as we look into to markets, um, you know, we we also might evaluate partnerships, right, or um, ways in which we can get in uh, at a more rapid clip. So. Um, we're super excited about the opportunity, but we're going to probably take it uh, a bit slowly, um, one to two markets every couple of years. And, and again, think through how to make sure that that investment is right for the opportunity. What, what's going to be interesting, though, is I do think, you know, you may see us do more foreign language uh, programming ahead of our expansion into uh, international markets. So that's something that could be um, exciting for us. And, and you know, I've, I've always thought, too, is digital is a great way to sort of start to seed a market um, internationally. So there's a lot of, you know, great ideas that we're thinking about as we think about uh, that, that uh, the international growth. But, again, I think the important thing is just to be cautious as we go. Got it. 
Okay. And then uh, on the margin side, you know, during the IPO, you kind of laid out 10% plus EBITDA margins. Clearly, the business has taken, you know, a phenomenally different trajectory right now. And obviously, you've achieved pretty good leverage in the fixed cost side. And the subscription business has also shown pretty good improvements. And the brand of Peloton, you know, has become a lot more powerful under COVID. How are you, you know, can you provide some updated thoughts on that 10% margin levels? It seems like, you know, we could be achieving levels there uh, at a, you know, fairly quicker pace. And also potential areas of the business could provide additional leverage um, to reach about that margin target. So, um, you know, I, I think philosophically, we believe that we are so in the early stages of our growth and the adoption of connected fitness in the home that there is no way that we can't be 100% focused right now on growth. Obviously, I think what we've been able to witness over the last several months is that with scale and therefore leverage of fixed costs, that our model proves out, right? And that's something we've always said. We've always, you know, talked about our unit economic model, right? How the, the marketing spend pays is paid for by the gross profit margin earned on the connected fitness unit. And thereafter, if we focus on engagement and have low churn, we have massive um, upside as it relates to the LTV of our connected fitness subscriber. So um, nothing's really changed there. Um, the, the fact is we've just pulled in, right, our growth, right, by a, a couple of years, which has then allowed us to see the leverage of our fixed costs in the model. So there, you know, we don't really then have a target. You know, I, I think what we've been able to, again, to show is, what, what we could look like in a more mature state, right? Which, you know, I think is a fairly attractive margin if you look at our margin profile in, in Q4 last year, as well as Q1 of this year, when you see a lot of leverage of those sales and marketing expenses. And, you know, we still have, you know, 105 showrooms. We still have some fixed costs there too. So it kind of gives you a sense of where we could go, but, you know, to me, it would be way too premature to sort of give timing guidance on adjusted EBITDA because, again, for us, it's all about driving the top line. It's not to say we're not disciplined as we spend, but, you know, for us, it's it's we, we want to keep our first mover advantage, right? We know that a lot of people um, and competitors have, have seen the attractiveness of this category and to us defending with our moat of vertical integration and continuing to invest to be the best um, is is what we need to do right now. So unfortunately, it means I don't really have a bogey or a time frame um, for you know a, a certain level of profitability by a certain time frame. Um, but hopefully, most of, of of our investors are are looking at the growth potential and the fact that we are the market leader in connected fitness and. It, to us, it's most important for us to defend um, to defend that. Got it. No, that makes sense. That makes sense, and that's fair. Yeah, I'll ask again next year. But thank you so much <laughs> for the time, and uh, we'll wrap it up there. All right. Well, it's great to see you, and uh, you know, again, hope everybody has a better 21. And uh, you know, we're, we're excited to have this pandemic end and thanks so much for having us and hopefully we can be there in person next year.
Great. Yeah. All right. Have a great holiday. Thank Bye. you. Have a great day. Thanks, Deepak.